Our theme is from, drawn from Ecclesiastes 9 and 7. The first two words of this in the translation by Eugene Peterson called the message simply state these words, two words, seize life, seize it. And as I've often said, you can't help but get the impression in interacting with people and living in today's world that a lot of people are expecting life to come seize them. And it just doesn't happen that way. We've, last Sunday we read a text, 2 Kings 13, 15 through 19. Briefly, I'll tell you the story. But Elisha the prophet, who is the spiritual voice for the nation of Israel and voice to the nation, is dying. He's already got one foot in the next world. And already he was a seer. And the king of Israel comes to see him and pay his respects because the old prophet is about to go home. And when the king walks in the room, the fiery prophet raises up and says to the king, open that window to the east. And he does. And the king doesn't know what's going on. He thinks maybe the prophet just wants a little fresh air. Then the king is instructed by the prophet, take your bow, notch an arrow to the string, and point it out the window. And the king does so. He's probably wondering what's happening. And the old prophet Painfully pulls himself out of bed, stands behind the king, wraps his bony arms around those of the king, puts his hands, fevered hands, on the hands of the king as he holds the bow and arrow and then says, let the arrow go. And that arrow flies through the window and the old prophet with a raspy voice says, that's the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance of the Lord against Syria. And that, of course, made the king's heart Glad because Syria was to Israel what some of us have faced in life in terms of reoccurring problems. You know, my observation, and tell me if I'm not right, if I'm wrong, you can correct me, is that most of us don't go through life facing all of the problems this one and this one, this one, this one, this. Most of us go through life and face a, watch this now, this is critical, a few problems over and over again. Think about it. Most of us face the same reoccurring problems over and over. Now, the problems you face over and over may not be the ones that your friend or neighbors face. Paul, well, I said Paul. I always like to think Paul wrote the book of the Hebrews, but I don't really know that. It's either Paul, Apollos, or Timothy. And um, probably as good an argument to be made that Apollos wrote it as it there is that Paul wrote it. But he says, lay aside the sin that every weight and the sin which doeth so easily beset us, in, implying, suggesting that there is a particular weakness that each one of us face that's different from that of the person next to us. Well, it is in this sense that Syria has been the constant thorn in the side of Israel. Not everybody in the world they've had to fight, but they have had to fight a few over and over again, Philistines, Syrians. Well... The prophet says, this is the arrow of God's deliverance from Syria. Oh, the king should have been jumping up and down. And the prophet says, take the arrows that remain in your quiver and strike the ground. The king just kind of lackadaisically hits the ground three times. And this, the Bible says, made the prophet mad. Didn't say he got irritated or upset. Didn't say he was unhappy. Didn't say he chided the king. It said he got angry. 
and said, you should have smitten the ground five or six times. This was the text we used last week. And he had, I mean, just enormous passion in his rebuking of the king, his, his words to the king for what he felt like was a grievous injustice to the nation. And the king's probably like, whoa, where'd this come from? And Elisha explains that had you smitten the ground many times, you would have defeated Syria until they were never a problem to you again. Now you're only going to get three victories and then they're coming back. And this problem that this nation has been plagued with for many years will continue because at the moment of opportunity, you failed to act with enough passion to carry it all the way through to conclusion. That speaks to me. It really does. Because for some of us, the problem may be finances, and our family may have been plagued with that for years. For others of us, it may be some, some generational curse opened by a family member years ago that, that, that as it were, tilts our family toward uh, maybe some type of addiction. Or it could be that maybe we have faced constant opposition to the development of ministry or the fulfillment of destiny. But for every family, there is usually, as there was for the family of Israel, there is usually a specific few set of problems that must be addressed. And when you get the opportunity to lay one of those guys down, you better seize it. Because it will change everything for you, your kids, your grandkids, and generations to come. And this made the prophet very upset that the king failed to realize that. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 said, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, turn to your neighbor and say, that's me and you. Tell them, that's me and you. Let us hold fast our profession. We were talking about them, now we're talking about us. For we, say we, that's me and you, have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You see, talking about them, now it shifted to us, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, turn to your neighbor again, say, that's me and you. Therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we, not them, us, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, in the name of Jesus, I invite you with humility to come to us today and speak a word that will impact our lives. Let your word do what only your word can do, that no other word has the ability to do. Let it get inside of us and that creative authority that it contains let it get a hold of us and our, our circumstance, our life, our ministry, everything about us. Let those things be impacted by the power your word has resident within it to alter them. In Jesus' name we ask and everybody said amen. How to have a breakthrough, part two, okay? Last week I shared four kingdom principles that can forever change your life and that they position you to know how 
to experience breakthroughs. Now, these are significant because I believe that God is happiest when mankind finds their greatest joy in knowing and loving God passionately. We were made to serve and to worship him, and God is happiest when we are consumed with our pursuit of him and delighted in him and enjoying the life that he gives us. If you secretly believe that somehow God delights in your pain, you're wrong. God wants you to be happy, and he derives pleasure from our happiness. Amen. The Bible says the Lord delights in the pleasure of his people. Amen. And when we are happy and fulfilled in Christ, and he is our greatest treasure, that is God's happiest time. And it's God's plan for us that that be the life every one of us live. Scriptures such as, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, can only fully be understood if you realize that this is who God is. He is happiest when we are happy. He is fulfilled when we are ultimately fulfilled in him. That means there's a lot of junk sometimes that has to be washed out of our theology, and especially all this stuff about, you know, we think God's mean and, and et cetera and enjoys our pain and so forth. And we have to, to, to understand that's not really Scripture. There are some verses in the Bible that talk about judgment. It's strange how some people can leap over the hundred that deal with his love and find the one that talks about his judgment, you know. And that's the one thing they believe about God. When you read the Old Testament, there were so many times God could have dealt with Israel and didn't. Amen. He just continued to have mercy. But on the few occasions when he did, we, we just, oh boy, that, that, that gets our attention. But God ultimately is, is, according to John, God is love. And that's who he wants to be identified as being. And so breakthroughs, therefore, if you understand who God is, breakthroughs you will also understand are a part of the life that he wants you to experience. Amen. In this fallen world, we will all face situations that are the result of being in a world that's fallen. We all will. We are a fallen race, as I've often said, living in a fallen world ruled by a fallen Lord. And for us to think anything other than that is to ignore and to uh, be foolish enough to disregard what is really the truth. And in these situations, we need God's help to have breakthroughs. But if you understand God's all about our happiness and he derives the most pleasure when we are fulfilled in him, then you'll understand that God is all about giving you breakthroughs too. That's why you find so many of them in the Bible. Amen. Yes, in this world we're going to have trouble. Psalms 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Amen. There, they, I, I, I disagree with what some people believe. You get saved and there's no more pain from then on. And, you know, the biggest problem you ever have after you get saved, you can fix it with a little excedrin. Amen. No, you will have some trouble. This is a fallen world. Amen. And God wants you to be happy, but there's somebody else that is opposing that. And, and so you need to understand this about, about who he is. Can I say somebody, uh, can I hear somebody say amen this morning? And so from Genesis to Revelation, you will find that, that the Bible is filled with stories of breakthroughs. Just let me take the time to lay out my, my case here for, 
for you. So last week I talked about four kingdom principles. Number one, God is in control. That's the very first principle that you need to realize is that God is always in control and there is no time when he is not in control. No matter how dark the circumstance, God is in control. Oh, can I hear an amen? And the second kingdom principle is we can move God to act on our behalf. We can. God is in control. We may not be, but we can move him to act on our behalf. And since he's in control, that means he's in control of our situation. You can experience breakthroughs if you can move God. You may not be able to move the situation, but you can move a God who can move the situation. And the third kingdom principle is incredible things happen when you touch God. Human abilities and, and responses are limited anyway, but God's never are. God's are inexhaustible, and we talked about that last week. And um, we sometimes you know, are disappointed because people we go to can't help us. But we need to realize and cut people a break, uh, you know, give them a little slack. Not everybody has everything they need to make our problem go away. Just like we can't make theirs go away, they can't make ours go away. And we need to realize there's only one that is ultimately in control, and that's God. Can I hear somebody in the building say, that's right? Amen. Now, this is, this is important to us because, as I said, you know, there is always going to be some difficulty in the course of living life. But there's always a da the danger that those who passionately seek our Christ will experience breakthroughs that were the, uh, the result of their passion. And then others without passion or who have less passion will look at those breakthroughs one by those with great passion, and out of that, we'll try to draw up a formula for breakthroughs. And I need you to hear what I'm saying because I'm serious. Too many people use God like they're lucky rabbit's foot. They're talisman, you know. They're magic wand. They're abracadabra. They, 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 they use God like he's their charm on their bracelet or something. And, and um, they... they they want to find the, 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 the formula in a story or, uh, or scripture from the Bible, and they don't want to delight themselves in God. They just want to use the formula. I'm going to live my life, and God, you can sit over there, but if I need you, I want the formula. I want to be able to pull you into my situation here. Amen. And for that reason, I have to emphasize as I go in deeper into this that I'm not here offering you formulas. I'm rather teaching you that God wants you to be complete in him, and he's all about you having a breakthrough if you're passionate for him. Amen. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. When God is your greatest passion, and you're looking to him, I'm telling you, you have access to resources nobody else has access to. Amen. You have at your fingertips and available to you power that nobody else has. And, and, and we need to know that. Hunger for God always leads to, fulfillment, full, to fullness, fulfillment, and satisfaction. We talked about the incredible opportunity the king of Israel had been given to see his enemies destroyed. Those specific enemies that were a trouble to Israel, unique to Israel, destroyed once and for all. But he didn't even have enough passion to get rid of them once and for all. And I just want to tell you in, in this series, you need to know what to do when your time comes. Or oh, was somebody in the building would say amen. 
We have all kind of expressions that have, and adages that we have, maxims that have, we have developed through the years that have interwoven their way into our, our communication with one another that convey this thought, such as, you better strike while the iron is hot. You better move when the tide comes in. You, you know what I'm talking about? Statements like that. You better make hay while the sun shines. And those old expressions come out of reality. They mean that when you get an opportunity, you better seize it. You better know what to do. Joke, okay, joke. One day a man comes home and he's greeted by his wife dressed in a very sec sexy negligee. And she purrs, tie me up, baby, and you can do anything you want. So he tied her up and went golfing. That's not knowing what to do when... That's not knowing what to do when the time comes. You hear what I'm saying? That, that, that's not taking advantage of your chance. So the first kingdom principle is God is in control. The second is you can move God to act on your behalf. And the third kingdom principle is incredible things will happen when you move God. So we ended last week with a fourth kingdom principle, and that's where I want to start today. The fourth kingdom principle is if you want God to do something extraordinary, don't just act ordinarily. Extraordinary acts of devotion move God extraordinarily. And extraordinary things result when people start acting extraordinarily. I'm not saying by this, and I have to qualify this, that, that you earn or merit divine intervention. Divine intervention is always by definition of what it is, an act of the grace of God. You can't purchase a miracle. You can't purchase a breakthrough. You can't be good enough to earn one. You can't work your way up in that regard and make God feel like you, you, you've been so good, I'm going to reward you. No, the point that I'm making is that doing what you've always done only produces what you've always had. Help me out now. Because I never cease to be amazed at the number of people who think that if they just continue to do what they've always done, there's going to be something radical come along and change everything. Uh-uh, you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep having what you've always had. A wise man was teaching and cracked a joke, and everyone laughed like crazy. And after a moment, he cracked the same joke again, and this time fewer people laughed. And, and then he told the same joke the third time, and even less laughed, and he told it over again the fourth time, and only a couple laughed, and he continued to tell the joke until people were looking at each other and nobody was laughing. And then he asked the question, you can't laugh at the same joke over and over again, then why do you people keep crying over the same things over and over again without changing something? That's the point I'm making right now. That doing the same thing you've always done just produces the same thing you've always had. And if you want to see a change, you need to act different. Their extraordinary acts of devotion and dedication move God. Oh, I feel it working now. Extraordinarily. Isaiah 53 and 12. Therefore, God said, I will divide him, speaking of Christ, a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That begs the question, why? Because, you know what that word because means? It means predicated upon what was done before. 
Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Because, predicated upon the actions of the one that is about to receive the benefit, the benefit is now released. And so God is saying, Jesus has moved me extraordinarily. Jesus in his physical form came and did what nobody else could do for us. Oh, amen. Don't you want to give him praise for that? And I know some Christians that in their desire to elevate God, they'll, they'll, they'll go out and they'll cut everybody other religious figure down that's ever started a, a religion, whether he intended to start one or not. For example, somebody will say bad things about Buddha or, or somebody will say bad things about Muhammad. Now, quite frankly, I don't know. I didn't meet either one of them. They were already gone by the time I showed up. But I have enough reason to believe that if so many people believe in them, they might have been some pretty good fellows that, and, and, and taught some pretty sound things. So I don't have a beef with Buddha, and I don't have a beef with Muhammad, and I don't have a beef with any of the others out there. I just want to let you know that the reason I serve Christ is he went further than Muhammad did and further than Buddha did. You understand what I'm saying? He did more for me than what they did. They may have wanted to help me, but he poured out his soul unto death for me. That's the defining difference right there. That's the mark, as it were, that separates Christ from everybody else that's also been in the race. And when Elisha had King Joash shoot a window through, or an arrow rather, through the window, it meant that God had opened a window of opportunity, and the arrow symbolized that God himself was going to fight for Israel. But at that moment of opportunity, he acted in a whole hum, ne'er-do-well, laissez-faire, laid-back, mundane, mediocre, don't-give-a-care kind of an attitude. And I want to tell you that's not how you want to act when your door of opportunity is open. You want to roll up both shirt sleeves and do what Dana White tells his fighters in the UFC to do, leave it all in the octagon. When your opportunity comes, don't you spend the next three weeks wishing you would have done something a little bit different. Uh-uh. When your chance comes, that's the time to do it. And that brings me now that if... To this point, that if acting extraordinarily moves God to do extraordinary things, then the fifth kingdom principle is that breakthroughs do not come just because there is a need. They don't. Too many believers are stuck where they are thinking God is going to be compelled by their need to come along and fix it. Help me out now. I look at Luke 4, verse 25 through 27. Jesus was teaching, but I tell you truly, true. You see that word? Truly. And this is the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. What is he saying? There were lots of needs, but not every need moved God. Amen. 
You see, God might be touched by our, by, with compassion, but that's not the same thing as, as getting involved in our circumstance. Oh, come on, help me out now. I want to preach to you. Too many of us have somehow developed a theology that if I have a need, God's got to come running. Amen. And so it's kind of like, who is that guy uh, that just, uh, Harold Ramos or somebody just died that did that movie years ago, Ghostbusters? And God becomes our, our devil buster. Who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters, the, the devil buster. And, and so we just, we just think that we call on God and God's going to move because we have a need. Oh, no. There were many widows and only one of them was sustained. And there were many that had leprosy, but only one of them was healed. And when you look at both of those circumstances, you will find both people acted with extraordinary passion when their opportunity came. There was none of this laissez-faire, beat the ground three times kind of response from them. They left it all in the octagon. Amen. And on another occasion in John chapter 5, to prove that it, God is not moved by need, we read that Jesus walked among the poor and the, the needy at the pool of Bethesda. And the scripture specifically states there were a multitude of people that were in pain and sick and afflicted at the pool. And Jesus had to step over this one and pardon me and walk around this one and oops, uh, uh, sorry, let me, I'm just trying to get through and, and over this one and this one till he comes to a man that's been there 38 years and he says, will you be made whole? And the man gets healed and Jesus turns around, oops, excuse me and pardon me and I know what everybody is thinking there. They're thinking when he gets done with this guy, he's gonna stop and fix me. But he doesn't. Oh, sorry, didn't mean to step on your finger. And just, and y'all pardon me. And, and goes on. I've been there. I've been sitting on the pew while somebody beside me got a miracle and I didn't. And amen. Oh, come on. You understand what I'm saying here? This is reality. And so Jesus walks off healing only one man. And everybody else is sitting there. And now they have gone from thinking it's our turn next to thinking how unfair is this? And they're saying, he didn't act with any more passion than I did. He didn't even call you, you know. And you just walk over out of nowhere and show up. Well, you need to understand Ecclesiastes 9 and 11. I return and saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. That guy's card came up. His lucky numbers popped up in the machine. It was, he got the lucky roll of the dice. And if you can wait 38 years, you might get a roll of the dice going your way too. Am I, am I talking to somebody right now? Time and chance happens to them what? All, A-L-L. -L. You'll get your chance if you live long enough. Come on, help me out. But some of us don't want to wait 38 years and if you're waiting for him to be moved by need, you need to understand that need is not what motivates God. That brings me to the next point, which needs to be addressed because more and more you hear this, this being spoken and verbalized these days. People often ask, how could a loving God allow the terrible things that happen in our world to take place? 
Even Christians ask this question, and they fail to realize that mankind forfeited control of this world to the enemy. God had authority, turned it over to man, and then man took it and gave it to the enemy when he sinned. Watch it now. And for the same reason that if your daddy gives you a house and signs it over in your name and somebody comes along and scams you and you put your house up as collateral and you lose it, daddy can't go to court to fight to get the house back. It wasn't in his name. He signed it over to you. And the reason that God can't go and get the problem fixed is because he signed the authority over to man and man is the one that gave it away, which is why you and I have to be involved. The only one that can go to court is the one the theft was done to. Oh, I'm preaching right now. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. That's right. That's right. Amen. And, and so the father can't sue to have the property returned because he no longer had authority. And what, that's what happened in this world we live in. God gave it to mankind. Mankind gave it to the enemy. And God's trying to help us get it back. And this is why Jesus had to come born of a woman to become the son of man. Oh, now I'm, I'm really laying it out there. It's because only then did he have a legitimate right as an heir to what man used to have to go to the court of heaven and petition for its return. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Somebody say praise the Lord. And speaking of why solving why speaking of why God doesn't do anything about the tragedies going on in our world and solving that problem, and especially those that affect the United States, I want to read to you something that should cause all of us to stop and think. Now, before I do this, can I point out the obvious and say that once again, faith in God in this nation is under attack as never before. Now, don't worry, we're going to win. I already know that. Revival is coming. All they're doing by fighting against God is, is as it were, forcing everybody out there to try every other option but God. And since those are nothing but broken cisterns that can't hold any water, when you finally show up with the real thing, you know what I'm talking about? I love that advertisement for Coke Zero. Tastes so much like the real thing, we ought to sue ourselves. And, and, and whenever, whenever the world tries all this other stuff out there, and it doesn't work. They're ready for the real thing then. And amen. And many people even blame. I'm going I'm to do something here. I'm going to probably get into an area I'd best leave alone. But a lot of folk want to blame Democrats and the current administration for the plight our nation is in right now in regards to the attacks against its spiritual freedoms and its religious freedoms. I won't tell you this took place and started years before Mr. Obama became president. And it's been a problem under both Republican and Democratic administra administrations. That's right. In fact, the commentary I'm about to read is something written when George W. Bush was president of the United States. It's written by Mr. Ben Stein. Are you familiar with him? 
He's the CBS commentator, and he is Jewish, by the way. He made this, this commentary, delivered this commentary on CBS on Sunday morning following the White House's decision to call the Christmas tree that year a holiday tree instead of a Christmas tree. Now, they've been calling it a holiday tree ever since, and that year was 2005. That, that was when George Bush was president. I want to show you where the real problem is at. And so this is Ben Stein, and this is what he had to say. And uh, I quote, my confession. I am a Jew, and every single one of my ancestors was Jewish. And it does not bother me even a little bit when people call those beautiful, lit-up, bejeweled trees Christmas trees. I don't feel threatened. I don't feel discriminated against. That's what they are, Christmas trees. It doesn't bother me a bit when people say, Merry Christmas to me. I don't think they're sliding me or getting ready to put me in a ghetto. In fact, I kind of like it. It shows that we're all brothers and sisters celebrating this happy time of year. It doesn't bother me at all that there's a manger scene on display at a key intersection near my beach house in Malibu. If people want a crib, it's just as fine with me as is the menorah a few hundred yards away. I don't like getting pushed around for being a Jew, and I don't think Christians like getting pushed around for being Christians. I think people who believe in God are sick and tired of getting pushed around, period. I have no idea where the concept came from that America is an explicitly atheist country. I can't find it in the Constitution, and I don't like it being shoved down my throat. Or maybe I can put it another way. Where did the idea come from that we should all worship celebrities, but we aren't allowed to worship God? I guess that's a sign that I'm getting old too. But there are a lot of us who are wondering where these celebrities came from and where the America we knew went to. In light of the many jokes we send to one another for a laugh, this is a little different. This is not intended to be a joke. It's not funny. It's intended to get you thinking. Billy Graham's daughter was interviewed on the early show, and Jan Clayson asked her, Jane Clayson asked her, how could God let something like this happen regarding Hurricane Katrina? And Graham gave an extremely profound and insightful response. She said, I believe God is deeply saddened by this just as we are. But for years we've been telling God to get out of our schools, to get out of our government, and to get out of our lives. And being the gentleman he is, I believe he's calmly backed out. How can we expect God to give us his blessing and his protection if we demand he leave us alone? Hmm. In light of recent events, terrorist attacks, school shootings, and etc., I think it started when Madeline Murray O'Hare, she was murdered, her body found a few years ago, complained she didn't want prayer in our schools, and we said, okay. Then someone said, you better not read the Bible in school. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we said, okay. Then Dr. Benjamin Spock said we shouldn't spank our children when they misbehave because their little personalities would be warped and we might damage their self-esteem. Dr. Spock's son committed suicide. We said an expert should know what he's talking about. So we said, okay. 
Now we're asking ourselves why our children have no conscience, why they don't know right from wrong, and why it doesn't bother them to kill, their, kill strangers, their classmates, and themselves. Probably if we think about it long and hard enough, we can figure it out. I think it has a great deal to do with we reap what we sow. Funny how simple it is for people to trash God and then wonder why the world's going to hell. Funny how we believe what the newspapers say but question what the Bible says. Funny how we can send jokes through email and they spread like wildfire. But when you start sending messages regarding the Lord, people think twice about sharing. Funny how lewd, crude, vulgar, and obscene articles pass freely through cyberspace, but public discussion of God is suppressed in the school and workplace. Are we laughing yet? Funny how when you forward this message, you will not send it to many on your address list because you're not sure what they believe or what they will think of you for sending it. Funny how we can be more worried about what other people think of us than what God thinks of us. Pass it on if you think it has merit. If not, then just disregard it. No one will know you did. But if you disregard this thought process, don't sit back and complain about what bad shape the world is in. My best regards, honestly and respectfully, Ben Stein. Mm. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but that moves me. It moves me. And people say, why do bad things happen? Well, we told God to get out. But out, leave us alone. Amen. And so he just backed away. And you need to realize that in a world left to its own devices, there are going to be some problems. And that brings me to the sixth kingdom principle, and I'm already nearing conclusion. You can have a breakthrough if you learn what moves God and then do it. In the middle of a world that has been abandoned and is adrift, you can touch God. Yes, you can. Again, I'm not going to give you formulas, but I am going to tell you how for those who are passionate about God, you can bring God into the middle of your world and change everything when nothing else can affect your situation. And God knows we need to know the, how to do this because too many in our churches don't know how to touch God. Too many going to church on Sunday morning don't know how to have a breakthrough. And too many when God, when somebody's in the middle of a problem and they come say, can you pray for me? Or left standing there acting like, I don't know what to do to help you. And if you can't go to the doctor and get help, who can you go to? We need a world that can be touched by a church that can move God. We need a church that knows how to touch the world. Yes, we do. So the sixth kingdom principle is you can have a breakthrough if you can learn what moves God and then do it. The amazing truth behind this fact is that God never changes and is no respecter of persons. So based upon what we read about him, and don't forget... The people involved acted passionately. When we see passionate people have breakthroughs, we can extrapolate from that and say, God never changes. He's no respecter of persons. If I also can be as passionate as they were, the God who never changes can be touched to do for me what he did for them. Mm. Think about it now. Malachi 3 and 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. 
Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Just turn to your neighbor and say, God is not the one who changed. Would you do that? <laughs> say it again. God is not the one who changed. If anybody's moved, it wasn't God. He's still exactly where he was before. And so remember, need is not what moves God. It's passionate people. And so you need to be able to assess a situation, look at it, and analyze it, and then draw from that the truth that is being communicated to you. Because you can end up with all kind of crazy, as it were, uh, decisions about what really went on if you don't really analyze it correctly. A joke. Well, it's not really a joke. This is the truth. Watch this. The Japanese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. That's a fact. The Mexicans eat a lot of fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Chinese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Italians drink a lot of red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Germans drink a lot of beer and eat lots of sausages and fats and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. Conclusion, eat and drink what you like. Speaking English is apparently what kills you. Amen. Amen. You need to be able to assess and draw the truth out of what the Bible is saying. Don't just read it as a story. It contains a principle. And the principle contains, oh Lord, a kingdom key that can open another dimension up for you. It can open the door to another dimension. And so look at these people. Look at the God who never changes and look at what happened. Look at the fact that you can move God and then ask yourself, what was it in that story that caused change to be so profound? And as I pointed out, uh, there are several consistencies that, that, that I think you find from story to story. One is God's always in charge. No matter how impossible or dark the night, God is in charge. No matter how deep the river, God is in charge. No matter how high the mountain, God is in charge. No matter how dry the desert, God is in charge. No matter how wide the ocean, God is in charge. No matter how bad the cancer, God is in charge. No matter how broke the pocketbook may be, God is in charge. No matter how impossible, God is in charge. Second thing is, this is a fallen world and even believers are going to face problems. Get used to it. So that brings me to the third thing. What is it that made these people have an, a breakthrough? That God was the same. They still lived in the same world we did. We live in that's fallen. This, and this, this is the seventh principle that I want to discuss. It's the one that God rebukes Joash for. It's a lack of passion. He would have experienced an extraordinary breakthrough if only he had beat the ground. What the prophet was saying is, man, you should have hit that ground so many times that I couldn't even see you for the cloud of dust that was raised. You should have beat that ground until every arrow in your quiver was broken. You should have hit on that ground until the neighbors came running wanting to know what was going on and somebody learning to play drums next door or something. You should have beat the ground until, until, uh, until I told you to stop. Amen. And I can almost hear angels. Angels' armies are assembled. And they're there with their weapons waiting for Gabriel to blow his trumpet and attack. 
I mean, their own call. There are legions of angels. Our Lord is also the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of armies. And he's showing up with angelic armies. And, and Elisha saying, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance has already been released. The window is open. And angels are standing wet, ready to be sent into battle. And Joash just kind of like lightly hits on the ground three times. And angels said, what in the world was that? You know, and angels said, we're going home. I mean, good night. You're sending us back. We hadn't fired a shot. Angels' armies were retired that day because somebody failed to act with passion. What am I telling you? This is the seventh principle and the one that you need to understand. And hear what I'm talking about. Passion causes ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And, and that gets God's attention. Make no mistake. The people you read about in the Bible were ordinary in every sense of the word. They had headaches like you and I do. They went through financial stresses just like you and I do. They had problems with teenagers like you and I do. They had difficulty in their marriage like you and I might have and, and they've been through the same stuff. But what elevated them to a point of breakthrough was that they had passion. Even though they were ordinary when their time came, they bowled up, rolled up their shirt sleeves and gave it everything they had. And what I'm calling on Christian Tabernacle to do is in 2014, why don't we stop being ordinary believers and get radical for God and, and let a radical God get involved in the middle of our lives? Can somebody shout hallelujah? Amen. Amen. And because of that, when you look at these stories, you will find that from each of these stories... There were extraordinary, what I call extraordinary keys to extraordinary breakthroughs that we find recorded in Scripture. I'll begin to deal with those next week. But it all begins with one thing. It begins with passion. Passion. A seven-letter word, Mark 11 and 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. You hear that? Whatsoever things you desire. If you can get a bad enough case of the want-tos, you can get something done. If you can want it bad enough that you don't just hit the ground two or three times. How many of us have sent our angels home when God had already commissioned them to act on our behalf because we're too worried about maintaining proper protocol and, and being in charge and, and you know not getting out of, 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 of control and don't want anybody to think that we're just radical here. I want somebody to think I'm radical and because it's only radical people that are going to have a breakthrough. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Radical people are the ones that control the direction of the world. And if it's a radical extremist, it's radical over some wrong cause. No matter how unjust, he gets more done than all the rest of us trying to do what's right. If only we are acting ordinarily. God, give us passion. 
God, help us to stand up. God, let 2014 be our year for a breakthrough. God, let this be my year to touch the hem of his garment. God, let this be my year to kickstart my ministry up to another level. And God, let this be my year to see an explosion. And God, let this be my year for God to use me. And you can act ordinary all you want to, but when I leave here, I want to go out of here having been known as an extraordinary individual in every way. Somebody who wasn't married to mediocrity. Somebody who didn't want to live his life in quite anonymity and be uh, just anonymous in a crowd. Oh no, it's my time. I feel, Lord have mercy. Oh. I feel like Bon Jovi. It's my time and it's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I'm just going to live until I die. Woo! Hallelujah. Strike the ground. Hit the ground. Amen. Hit the ground. Hit the ground.